This is our centennial year. You've heard that, yes? A couple times, I know. Our theme for the year or for the century is joy in the journey. We're going to be culminating that message next summer in July. I hope that some of you will be able to be here. I know that some of you will be doing summer work and stuff like that, and you might have trouble getting here, but this stuff will be online as well. So the, the joy in the journey is a recognition of all that God has done for us over the last century. The theme for Community Chapel, which we're launching today, and I consider it an enormous privilege to be able to do this today, um, is journeying with Jesus. And I'm going to see if this thing works. Oh, yeah, you're on. Whoops, don't want to do that yet. Good. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, all of you behind the scenes. Journeying with Jesus um, is uh, sort of the, the picture that comes out of um, the, the road to Emmaus. Now, this picture is probably, well, the, the original is way older than I am. It's about 150 years old. But this picture itself hung on our walls in our home in Africa. Um, and it was probably there, you know, maybe even from the time my mother went out to Africa, but it was her favorite picture. So it brings me a certain amount of personal joy to be uh, having that as our splash page for this series. Um, but it was written, uh, drawn in about 1875 by a guy named Zund. And um, it's a picture of Jesus walking on the road to Emmaus. And that's what we're going to look at today. The series is going to come out of that paragraph in the middle where Jesus explained, beginning with Moses, all of the prophets, all of the law and the prophets to them concerning himself. So this picture is special to me. In the midst of our journey through the year, we're going to have some pit stops. Now, I think that's really quite poetic. But pit stops are these every once in a while, occasional. We're kind of doing it once a month, but it's not spaced out exactly once a month. But pit stops are, are quick stops to take a look at what's gone on at the school over the last century. And so they'll be more um, sort of internally focused and intended to bring praise to God. But it's part of that whole joy in the journey bigger series and the pit stops will be brought by different people that we hope you'll find interesting. Okay, now back to that opening line that I had. Imagine if you were in Jerusalem for Passover, right? It's full of pomp, it's full of emotion, it's full of all kinds of ritual and important tradition and the drama that's around it is amazing. And there's tragedy in the middle of it. For some, the crucifixions are an opportunity of great justice. These people were wrong and justice has finally been served. For others, they watched as Jesus was crucified. And they're shaking their heads wondering what just happened. What just happened? And finally, after the Sabbath is done, they're able to begin walking home. And then on that morning, there are rumors that Jesus' grave is empty. Like, what's that about? Who stole? Who opened the tomb? Who stole the body? What is going on? And someone says, some women, you know, you know some women heard that, that they'd seen some angels and they said he's alive. What do you do with that? What is going on? That is the setting for our passage. We're in Luke 24. I don't have it written up above. I want you to just contemplate the picture or turn to it in your Bibles if you like 
You're welcome to do either, but listen in. Here is our passage for the day. We're gonna read Luke 24, verses 13 to 35. I know, some of you are going, that's a lot of verses. I'm going, believe me, they're the most important words that we'll get out this morning, so let's listen to them. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. And he asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it was just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay, stay with us. For it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. So we went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks and broke it and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the 11 and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true. The Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Our Father, I want to ask that you would bless us with open eyes, understanding, as we look at this passage and as we walk through this year with your spirit at our side. So give us, we pray, and understanding, open eyes and open hearts. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Amazing, amazing story, yeah? So I want to go back through and just look at a few verses in this thing and then we'll be done. 
Jesus, this is his first message after the resurrection. So I would suggest it's an important one, right? There is a, sort of a, a, a movement among Christians, and, and Andy Stanley down in Atlanta is one of the ones who has come right out and said, unhitch the Old Testament. Let me vigorously argue against that. If this is the first sermon that Jesus gave after his resurrection, don't you think you should keep them hitched? Now, I know you're all in that group, but I wanted to just make that point, I agree, and you all agree with me. But um, he tightly connected the Old Testament to the New Covenant. In fact, the New Covenant hadn't been written, but what he was doing was immediately making these connections. This is not a new faith. This is not a new religion. This is not a new teaching. This is a continuation of the old. Our faith roots are rooted in Adam and Abraham and all the way through to Isaiah and Ezekiel and all of those in between. These are the roots of our faith. And we need to understand how they link and how they connect. Oh, to have been a fly on Jesus' shoulder and heard his unpacking, yes? Oh, to have listened to him and said, oh, okay, that, 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 those are the main points. So Jesus himself, oh yeah, here, let me do my slides. Right, uh, there were two of them. So the suggestion is these were, the, 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 before this passage, it was talking about the apostles. So there were two of them. This is, in other words, these were two of the disciples, not two of the 11. In fact, Cleopas is arguably, history suggests, that he was Jesus' uncle, Joseph's brother. It comes out at the crucifixion that Mary, um, no, yeah, anyway, it comes out at the crucifixion that Cleopas' wife was there with Jesus' mother, the two Marys. And, and so it, it's possible that this was Jesus' uncle who was walking back to probably his home in Emmaus. Uh, secondly, can't read it way back there. They, I've already made the point. They were bewildered. They were shattered. They were trying to figure it out. They were truly seeking the truth. We had thought he was the Christ, that he would bring redemption. Jesus himself walked with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. Now, um, in preparing for this, I read an entire sermon um, uh, on just that phrase, they were kept from recognizing him. And I'm not sure I need to spend that much time on it because the passage isn't that clear on why. Was it their own uh, mindset? Was it their lack of faith? Was it their lack of understanding or was it that Jesus had, had clouded himself so he wouldn't be recognized? Point is, he was there, they didn't know it, right? That's the point. But he himself came up and walked along with him. To me, that is a whole sermon. And I invite you to walk with Jesus this year. He will be here beside you whether or not you recognize it, where two or more are gathered, right? There he is in the midst with them. Two followers of Jesus seeking the truth, talking about these things, debating them in a healthy way, trying to figure this out. Jesus will be there with you and helping. And his Holy Spirit will be opening your eyes. So I invite you to that very exciting walk this year.
on the road to Emmaus. He was a prophet. This is what they said. He was a prophet, just Jesus of Nazareth, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. We had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. I read another sermon where someone basically said these two were walking away from the cause. I don't think so. I don't know that. It doesn't say that. Let's not play with the text. Let's just accept what the text says. They were on their way to Emmaus. Passover was over. Maybe they're heading back home. Kind of makes sense. I don't think they were necessarily abandoning it. They were so concerned about it, that was the only thing they could think about. And Jesus came himself. Their testimony was true. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed, before God and all the people. Where they doubted was we had hoped he was the one. You know, doubt's okay. Doubt's okay. God can deal with that. God can work with that because we're engaged and he will give us the faith to believe what he needs us to believe. Here's the part that I think is so amazing and I've wanted to do this series for a long time. Beginning with Moses and the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Okay, that's an interesting sentence. What did he talk about? Like, come on. Luke, you're a historian, fill in the blanks, right? Now, it might have been, you know, about 39 books long if he'd written it. Um, But there are certain key messianic passages in the Old Testament. And that's our attempt this series. I assure you, we will make mistakes in what we chose and how we unpack them. But at least we're gonna give it a try, right? And through this year, you're going to have the opportunity of looking at all these passages in the Old Testament in here in Community Chapel that look forward to Jesus. What's really amazing about all of these passages is the amazing accuracy in the Old Testament that was written hundreds of years before it actually happened. I think the most amazing is Isaiah 53. But we'll come to that later in the series. And we'll shake our head. How could this person have prophesied this so accurately that it would be as if it was a person was watching the crucifixion and painting the picture or writing the story right then? Hundreds of years apart. To me, that is one of the great evidences that the scriptures are genuine and are the word of God, full of authority for us. He explained to them all that was said in all the scriptures. Now, there's another point on this one. And that is that we need to be careful in our understanding of biblical truth, right? These first century believers misread the scriptures, right? They were stumped. And Jesus is going, but it's so obvious. Don't you see it? This said this, and this said this, and this said this. And yet they misunderstood. I want to assure you, we're in the same shoes. We'll have misunderstandings of scripture. And so we need to be careful with our dogma that we're not too hard-lined on certain things. There are um, many views, and some of you will have very clear understandings of how things will be at the end of time. One thing I'm sure of is all of our understandings of the ends of time, we're going to get it wrong. We're going to get it wrong. 
And we're going to be surprised. And we're going to go, oh yeah, that's what it said. Now look, it's so true. But be careful in, we need to be careful in our predictions. Uh, yep, there are some views that are, you know, this, millenn- this tribulation happens and the millennium happens and there's the pre-trib rapture people and the mid-trib rapture people and the post-trib rapture people and the amillennialists and you know something? They're all biblically based. They're all a person's understanding of scripture. They're all biblical, but they just don't all cut tie together yet with, our, with the way we read it. And so we have to be humble. We have to be careful in how dogmatic we are with our understanding of these things because this I'm sure, every picture in scripture of Christ's second coming will be true. How it comes together is up to the Father. And when it comes together, even more important, when is for the Father to worry about, not for us to worry about. What do we worry about? We worry about telling people about the love of Jesus and drawing people to him. I I was stunned at these faithful Jewish people when I thought about this in preparing even for this message and previously. How many of the good, faithful Jewish people, the scholars of the time, missed Jesus on his first coming because they had it so clearly defined that this Messiah would come and rescue them from the Romans, right? That was their understanding that the Messiah would come and rescue them and save them from their oppressors and it wasn't a physical kingdom that he was setting up. And Jesus actually said, my kingdom is not of this world. You don't have to worry about your throne, you'll be good. Mine's bigger. They missed it because they were too dogmatic in their position. And so we have the scriptures before us, open to us to understand. And we need to read them for the full teaching of the scripture. This is one of the reasons why we do all 66 books, for those of you who are getting degrees. So that you will have the privilege of having read the whole teaching of scripture under great tutors. I I looked at the death, death and resurrection that just looked like a disaster. But if people had understood, if they had understood as it was happening, they'd have been going, yes, yes, this is it. Wouldn't that have been an interesting way to respond to Jesus' crucifixion? Wow, I haven't heard many sermons like that. Like, yes, this is where God, through Christ, crushes Satan's head. Very important, really thankful. And then there was the resurrection when all the demons went, oh no, he got out. We got a problem. If they had been able to walk, and, they, and many did, they walked through it in great faith. But God was gracious coming to them afterwards and showing them. We have the benefit of hindsight, a couple of millennia helping us understand what was going on. And we probably forget what it was like to have walked through that. One more point on this. We can be walking through some very dark times ourselves, whatever's happening in your life, but God is at work in it. Believe that in all things he works for good for those who love him. In all things, in all things. And what's our response to that? 
to in all things give thanks. Incredibly difficult at times. But that is the right response, that in all things I give thanks because he is doing something that I don't understand. And I probably won't understand ever until we get to a chance to face-to-face ask him about it. He took bread and gave thanks. Broke it and began giving it to him. Now this wasn't the sacramental communion. This wasn't the Passover meal. This was common every day. And in doing that alone, he broke bread like he had at the Passover, like he had previously with 5,000 and 4,000. And suddenly they're going, whoa, hang on, just a minute, wait. Where'd he go? Right? He began giving to him. Their eyes were opened and they recognized him when he broke the bread. Beautiful, beautiful sentence. And it's, you know, that this is a chance for us to remember that whenever we're together, whenever we're, you know, eating, walking about, these are opportunities for us to see Jesus among us and recognize him. Now, he often takes on the face of someone who's next to us, right? He takes on the face of our friends. Here's the one I love. Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? You are going to be sitting in class. You are going to be sitting in chapel and you're going to be, oh yes, this is true. Enjoy the warmth of the Holy Spirit. There is action that they took. I think you could do a sermon out of this, but I'm not sure I should. They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem because I don't want any of you people to go home. Just sit right down. (laughs) But yes, they got to work. Why did they go back? Well, they were witnesses now of this Christ. We will be gathering understanding of scripture. We'll be gathering a relationship with Jesus. We'll be gathering a relationship with God, the Father Almighty. We'll be learning to walk and live in the Holy Spirit. But it's not for our benefit. He blesses us so that we can, yes, be a blessing. The Abrahamic covenant. I've done a few big takeaways. The the one that I want to close with here is that Jesus will be present where two or more Whether or not we know it, or two or more are gathered, he will be there with us. God is on mission to dwell with us, right? If our mission is to glorify God and enjoy him forever, his mission is to tabernacle with us. His mission is to be their God and we will be his people. Repeated many, many times. I should have done a search in the scriptures on how many times that's in the scriptures, but it's an amazing fact that God's plan is to live here with us. I'd like to put a welcome mat. Maybe we should put a different sign on the front, right? Since we don't have the letters anyway, we change it. (laughs) God is welcome here, right? His Holy Spirit is welcome here in all and every way the Holy Spirit wishes to be here. 